All right, welcome back to part two of episode 37. We're going to pick up right where we left off, where we're talking about the early Gnostics and some of the myths that were formulated around Sophia birthing the evil archon Yaldabaoth unto like an abortion, the cosmos being a miscarriage and all that kind of disturbing stuff tied to that. And as I've said before, go back to occult Catholicism and we talk all about the connections there and their Genesis story, so to speak, from on the origin of the world, I believe, and all those relationships to a primitive Marxism and a Tikkun Olam mindset in the diaspora from the Gnostic or liberal Jewish side of the coin, the Alexandrian liberalism, and branching into Freemasonry and occultism and all that strange stuff. So we've gone through that, we've established all that. Now let's take that original spirit, if you will, and look at all the different incarnations and resurrections of it throughout European Christendom and obviously now spread throughout the world, which perhaps we could relate to the errors of Russia spreading, uh, as we'll talk about in the next part. So, as we mentioned, we have about a thousand years of Christendom, and that is obviously the evil illusion or the matrix or the demiurge's reign of the archons through the Catholic priests and kings protecting that state from the viewpoint of said Gnostics or Masons or whatever viewpoints that adhere to the Dark Ages Christianity. But then a little spark of gnosis starts to come back with the Manichaean dualism, uh, which is incubating, let's say, in Constantinople and spreading into southern France. And then will ironically be promoted by the Jews. And we'll talk about the conundrum there and the proxy warrior effect. And that is some of the concerns that we would probably want to think about in regards to uh, the Trump administration and dialectics or potential dialectics that we're also uh, accustomed to being wary of and, uh, you know, legitimate fears of controlled opposition. But with the Cathars, there are so many interesting parallels with what we went through in the Cathars episode number 20 and what's going on now in the whole globalist UN agenda. So let's do a little, I guess, nine point recap to our Cathars episode to make some modern-day correlations. So the first thing we will remind ourselves of is that when we read through the section on popular Cathar beliefs and also when the Cathars were on the run after the crusade suppressed them initially and now they're kind of having a little Cathar resurrection trying to bring their secret gnosis back after being suppressed, well, we can recall a number of their priests, or their perfecti, if you will, who were encouraging the pregnant woman amongst their flock, so to speak, to pray to God for basically an immaculate abortion. Because remember, back during this time, people still believed in the supernatural realms for the most part. The Enlightenment hadn't done away with all of that superstition of the Dark Ages, uh, allegedly, even though, as we mentioned, their tradition stems from John D angelic invocation magic, but they try to sidestep that and put that uh, ugly stepchild in the closet, right? The, the Parsons and the John Dees. But nonetheless, during this time, think about the context or the culture of the time. It was more of a supernatural culture. But are there certain ways to invert Christianity, whether it's more of a materialist, secular side of the 
uh, Enlightenment coin or more of an occult ritual magician tied to invoking angels and demons side, which we could see in a lot of the Freemasonic doctrines going around during the times of the Enlightenment, but that was much more fringe, right? So the point being, if you're telling people to pray to God to have an immaculate abortion, that the baby inside of you is actually a demon because giving birth to a new soul traps them in matter and matter is evil and wicked and created by the Catholic creator God that all of Christendom is worshiping, right? So that is one, uh, I would say, traumatizing experience that they were, you know, inducing amongst pregnant girls in the Cathar flock. And then you have the other aspect of this in terms of sexual purity or immorality and ways to get around this, right? And this is always centered around the subversive groups that try to get around commandments. So there's one faction of the asceticism of like the Gnostics and their viewpoint of sexual procreation being evil, where they are not allowed to have sex at all. So there's this monasticism that's still there and present, but for the complete opposite reasons why Benedictine monks or whoever were uh, celibate, right? And so there's that strict asceticism. Then there's the opposite side of the dialectic where they find ways to have open borders uh, sexuality, if you will, and this sort of redemption through sin, as long as you're not procreating. And does that sound very much like today, where you can do what thou wilt sexually, just don't have a baby. God forbid you have a baby, because we just need to cut down on the population, right? That's kind of like the leftist mantra these days. So, put this in the context of the Cathars, there were some factions that were telling their flock that it was impossible to sin below the waist. Waist down, you can't sin. You can do what thou wilt from the waist down. Obviously, we know what that means. But from the waist up, you're all good. So that means do what thou wilt sexually and just don't have a child, and you're uh, still in line with the Cathar perfecti from that different school of thinking. And like we've mentioned, there were even schisms within the Cathars. They would fight against each other. Some of their debates are actually what got them noticed by the Catholics because they're fighting about their own Cathar doctrines, making a big scene. All of a sudden, the Catholic authorities stumble upon it, and then they realize they're both, uh, you know, promoting nutty heretical stuff and subverting the society. And it kind of reminds us in the Psalms where, you know, there's a lot of passages about uh, the wicked laying snares or traps for God's people, but they fall into them themselves. <laughs> and obviously going back to Christ saying Satan casting out Satan being divided against himself cannot stand. And do we see that with the left today where they tend to eat each other up and whenever they disagree, they turn on each other and could be just as vicious to each other as they are to, I guess, uh, Trump supporters, right? Or anybody resembling the evil white patriarchy. So there is a modern parallel with the left today, but since we're all scientifically rationalist about it, we don't believe in superstitions, so we don't have to pray to the God above the demiurge to have an immaculate abortion. We can just go down to the Planned Parenthood, which are all conveniently open during the COVID-1984 pandemic. So you can still have your anti-sacrament if you'd like. So that's one aspect of this. And as we know, the second part, women in childbirth were seen as intrinsically evil by these resurrected Gnostics in the Cathars, and bringing a new soul into this life was cruel, it trapped them in matter. Um, some people could mitigate this with reincarnation, and you just got to ascend your consciousness so you don't have to reincarnate again, 
They can kind of bring that stuff into it. The Cathars were definitely a lot of them believing in reincarnation, much like many of the earlier Gnostics. But of course, it's all to escape the evil meanie face demiurge and get to the realm of spirit. However, the minions of the great Archon, the priest class, the kings protecting Christendom, well, they're all just doing his bidding, right? They're the powers and the principalities. Uh, now, again, they're going to invert what Paul says about powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness, and they use scripture alone to put a completely inverted interpretation, very much like many of the Protestants would do later. And the synthesis of the Cathars and the Protestants, despite their viewpoints on the divinity of Christ being completely different, is that the Catholic Church was the beast, right? The beast of revelation. So now they're going to invert the apocalypse, but for different reasons. And the synthesis point of the Catholic version of the apocalypse in the first century AD, bringing about Christendom, that gets completely flipped upside down, very much like the Immaculate Conception getting flipped upside down here with the promotion of praying for immaculate abortions. Now, the third point we would make is we've talked about, especially in occult science, but in a lot of places in occult Catholicism too, uh, the pantheism uh, of Pan and whatever, that this idea of reincarnation was embedded into the Cathar's viewpoints, and that relates a lot to today's Darwinian evolution, even if it's more secular, and that's the version Blavatsky complains about. It's the secular Darwin, the materialist Darwin, without the pantheistic spirit of the Eastern religions that theosophy is so intrinsically tied to. Well, that's their own little Ouroboros battle, right? Blavatsky hates the Western materialists going strictly to secular Darwinism and royal society types that are generally people she would rail against as being materialists, save for the Isaac Newtons of the world, who she loves. But they're just still unified on the same basic principles. They're just taking one to a more strictly materialist sense and one sprinkling some sort of evolutionary pantheistic theology to it, right? So that's what theosophy is all predicated on. And we talked about that theosophy getting wound up with a Darwinism and ethnostate stuff of the Nazis. But in the Nazi Noble Savage episode, we pretty much mentioned that everything you hear out of the New Agers today, who would completely reject racialism and stuff like that, as Blavatsky did and, and how, you know, the Nazis understood it. Outside of that and the Jewish question, so-called, they pretty much talked exactly the same. Um, so is it that the one part of the Rubik's Cube that just gets inverted, but everything else stays the same and people are trying to act like they have nothing to do with each other? And that the Nazis have nothing to do with theosophy, or the Nazis have nothing to do with Darwin, right? It's this whole other thing, and it's actually more tied to the anti-Semitism of the Catholic Church, right? That's typical modernist uh, alchemical equilibrium that doesn't make any sense, uh, despite some broad overlap, but without any distinctions to be made in order to propagandize and attack the Catholic Church. But the actual synthesis is they have much more in common with those Nazis uh, than they would like to admit, and it's their anti-Catholicism, which is in common. Um, so that is similar to the Cathars here, fighting against the Catholic Church, and then the Protestants later. The Protestants might have thought the Cathars were these horrible, Christ-denying folks, but they had a lot more in common with them on particular issues in their relationship to attacking the Catholic Church. And that will get us later to talk about, you know, again, the Jews promoting the Cathar heresy, which we'll wrap up on the last point. But really, back to the main issue at hand is that this is 
Darwinian evolution, whether it's a more spiritual Hinduized version or if it's just a, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Carl Sagan science bros version of it. It's kind of the same thing. And that's against, obviously, old world Christendom teaching on the story of man, creation, etc. Moving on. Point four. We're going to talk about how the liberal progressive tradition even LARPs on history and co-ops the Cathars as being uh, kind of their own, a kindred spirit, if you will. This goes back to Condorcet and the French Revolution. And this is stuff that we're going to be talking about in the Barwell Memoirs series, and in particular, I believe, in Book 2, The Anti-Monarchical Conspiracy, which gets into all the esoteric masonry and the weird Templar stuff. And that's something that we will begin actually very soon. But nonetheless, this tradition depicts the Cathars as tolerant, peaceful protesting, if you will, uh, vegetable-loving hippies. So that gets us to the UN agenda, promoting veganism and, you know, uh, theosophy, reincarnation, all the stuff that goes with the Cathars, not to mention the uh, abortion doctrines and, you know, childbirth uh, basically being an evil. Um, Well, they just want their independence of thought away from an ignorant and superstitious, science-denying, dark ages Catholic church, right? This is what they're saying the Catholic is really about, and that's who we align with. And, you know, they were so amazing uh, for their fight against intolerance, but the evil Catholic church just genocided them cruelly in ignorance and for patriarchal oppression. Which, again, is a huge LARP because the grand irony is that the Cathars thought women were intrinsically evil. (laughs) But if you reinvent and redefine women's progress and what is uh, embracing the divine feminine, and you bring it to the gospel of Thomas making women like men, or Plato's Republic style, well then you can start calling that virtue. And that's exactly what the French Revolution did. It took Catholic virtues, inverted them, and actually made the vices be the virtues. And that's exactly what the Cathars did. They made suicide a virtue, which the Nazis were tapping into in their own version of the Cathar LARP. But like we said before with dialectics, why did the Nazis think that the Cathars had this Aryan gnosis of the pure racial doctrine, yet the Jewish liberal tradition said it had the uh, you know, tikkun olam gnosis of liberal progress. Those are completely inverted opposite things. The Bolshevik Jews and the Nazi Aryan way were completely pitted against each other and mortal enemies, if you will. Yet they were both LARPing on the Cathars being of their own ilk and spirit. What's the synthesis? They were both anti-Catholic church. And they were also promoting their own version of eugenics, whether one was more active or passive. Regardless, that's also another synthesis, and that relates to everything we're talking about here with the synthesis on the groups who are for abortion or, as they call, pro-choice. They don't like saying pro-abortion. They think that's a misnomer, which is just a bunch of, you know, uh, legalism crap, versus the people who are pro-life and the aspects of that that Trump represents, or at least is a potential for making progress in that area, even though the term progress has really been hijacked by the liberal tradition. So that reminds us of all of the leftist university people saying, we are so smart and educated, and we're going to tell you how to get away from the Dark Ages ignorance, because we have our own gnosis that we're going to try to impose upon the world about what, again, progress is. So moving on, next point. 
Number six, and this might sound very familiar to a lot of listeners right now. When these Cathar ideas started becoming noticed by the uh, Catholic aristocracy in southern France and wherever else it was spreading, well, what was the first course of action of the church? Was it to go out and murder all these heretics and just, you know, burn them all at the stake and be intolerant, meanie faces working for the archons and the demiurge? No. They actually went out and tried to reason with them and use intellectual arguments because for people claiming to be all about intellectual arguments and gnosis and beyond ignorance, you'd think they'd see the basic hypocrisies and perhaps not so coherent ideas that they were promoting, right? In a perfect world, that would be the case. And some of them did, but some of them were very upset and would not listen to reason and they would actually kill the papal legates or the aristocracy protecting the Cathars would have people go out and attack the legates, uh, depending on the situation. So when you go out and try to reason with some of these SJWs, do you get a similar reaction where some would rather attack you, punch you, and try to kill you, and some will actually listen? But what do you do with the ones that just won't listen, and they continue to be very hostile and violent, even though they call themselves peaceful protesters or peaceful, tolerant uh, vegans just hanging out in southern France wanting to have their, I guess, uh, hippie dance circle and kumbaya. This is how they are projected to be in the liberal tradition throughout most history. At least when you go to any mainstream, uh, you know, history channel version of them or blogs, when you actually read the academic books like we did or we went through with the Cathar book by Barber, well, you get a very different side of the story, but why isn't that side of the Cathar academic story being taught in universities, which is supposed to be about truth, honesty, and reason, and facts, and science, right? Well, are they ironically denying all that, even though they claim everybody else is a science denier, or they have uh, no ability to reason, and they're a bunch of ignorant, superstitious people? That is the problem. And so, when they're going to constantly rebel and be violent, but say they're peaceful protesting, but it's anything but, well, is that when a crusade gets organized and comes in and it is not fun? Nobody is being really happy that all these people are being swallowed up by this crusade, but was that the right decision because you can't let that go on, and if they don't repent, if they don't change their mind, then that's just the logical conclusion, and is that very relevant to what's happening today, where if they keep all this up, is something very not so good going to happen to them? And eventually these riot police won't be shooting rubber bullets at them. It will be something else. Or they won't have their liberal protectors to hold the police back and let them try to burn the mother down until they get their way. And this is very relevant to the self-destructive nature of the Cathars, as we'll talk about a little bit more here. But the other thing I would like to mention which is very relative to the Catholic understanding of Fatima, dealing with the errors of Russia and the Bolsheviks, basically being another incarnation, if you will, of these Cathars and this liberal progressive SJW tradition that's fighting eternal fascism. Well, one of the things that was said was to praise the rosary. As much as Protestants want to call that demonic and making repetitive prayers to heathens and an idolatry of Mary and you're not supposed to worship Mary and all this, you know, straw man stuff that they always say. 
Well, it's pretty interesting that in Catholic tradition, and this isn't seen as 100% fact, but this is a tradition of the church that carries weight and merit as to where the rosary originally came from, is that it was given in a vision to St. Dominic by Mary to combat this very heresy. And I'll read a little quote from a Catholic site deliberating this tradition. And as usual, all the links will be in the description in the resources folder or link for the podcast. And it states, Dominic Guzman, a Spanish priest, traveled into France preaching against the Albigensian or Cathar heresy, but his efforts gained few conversions and even fewer followers. In 1208, he went to a forest near Toulouse in France to pray, and that's like the Cathar haunt, that's like the main place where a lot of the uh, Cathar aristocracy and castles were, and we talked all about this with the Raymonds and stuff like that. And it says that he was asking God to provide what he needed in order to overcome the Albigensian heresy. Ancient accounts tell us that after three days of prayer and fasting, which is always what's called upon during troubling times, again, relates very much to today, three angels appeared in the sky along with a ball of fire. When they disappeared, the Virgin Mary spoke, telling the priest that he must preach her Psalter in order to succeed in his struggle to overcome the Albigensians. So, Praying the Psalter was attached to beads. There's like, you know, 150 psalms, and you would attach that to each bead on the prayer beads, 150 beads. That was the hardcore Psalter. But this one is tying that practice to Mary's Psalter. So the idea of using beads and attaching them to the psalms was not something unknown to Christendom, as Protestants love to point to that scripture where you're not supposed to do repetitive prayers like the heathen. If that's the case, ipso facto, then all of Christendom has been corrupted, and that's what a lot of these Protestants say, but what do they promote as the alternative of what Christianity is supposed to be, according to them, and they can't agree on that, and therein lies the problem. They don't have a tradition to actually interpret the things that they say you must believe in Scripture alone, but like we said, the Cathars would use Scripture, the Gnostics would use Scripture, uh, all these people use Scripture, but it's the interpretation that matters. But Setting aside Protestant Catholic issues, back to Mary or this vision of Mary. People can call it demonic or whatever they want to call it, a guy who's just a superstitious nut. But from the Catholic perspective, assuming that this is a true story, well, to deal with these crazy neo-Gnostics or at least neo-Gnostics of the time, well, pray the rosary for them and give them the rosary and teach them about it. Because think about the... I guess, uh, reason behind this, perhaps the analogy that we can make to why focusing on the Virgin Mary and the rosary for these cathars might actually have a logos or an ordering to it that actually makes sense. It's also metaphysical and spiritual and supernatural, but it doesn't have to be divorced from reason. And perhaps that reason is because these Albigensians thought women were evil and procreation was evil. And instead of having an immaculate conception, they wanted an immaculate abortion, right? And so if you get them to focus on women being dignified and put in an exalted state and that, yes, Mary is still a created being, but not God, and you're not treating her as such, but rather a lot of the Catholic traditions tie her as usurping Satan's place where he was the greatest of created beings and now a human, which Satan hates, the idea of a lower being being exalted above him has in a weird way replaced, and that goes back to, you know, the Genesis story, the woman's seed crushing the serpent seed and all that kind of stuff. 
We don't have to drift into Gnostic Kabbalah to explain that passage. And so that gets them all who have these issues around femininity to say, hey, maybe you don't have to be bipolar in this state of dualism like your religion is telling you. And maybe having children is something that is good. And that is the real divine feminine, if you will, not this weirdo, inverted, hypocritical Gnostic version. And consider that if this story is part of Catholic tradition and has some truth to it, this is very much nearby the area of Fatima, Portugal, granted southern France, but it's still pretty close in the vicinity. And they're still basically dealing with the same type of spirit. That goes back to that dialectical Marxism that the Gnostic scholar Gillis Quispel readily identifies for us as being very apparent. And we also have the Jews promoting this heresy and being tied to it on some level. And that goes back to everything we talked about with the Jewish Gnostics in the first place. And think about what happens later with Our Lady at Fatima. She basically says the same things. Praying the Rosary, the errors of Russia in 1917... The vision was before the Bolshevik Revolution, and it predicted all these things with World War I, World War II, different popes, and consecrating Russia, and all this stuff that we'll go over in the next part. But setting that Catholic uh, inside talk aside, um, or any Orthodox or Protestant reactions to it, calling that you know a Western intelligence psyop or some demonic apparition, setting that aside, is there a consistency here? Praying the Rosary and dealing with crazy uh, SJW golems in whatever form, whether it is the first few centuries AD, the 13th century with the Cathars, or the early 20th century with the Bolsheviks and Soviet Russia. And we're going to talk about the crazy pro-abortion stuff that was going on in Russia at the end of this segment, because that's really what I think is the culmination of all of this before our current modern times. And again, for those who think that this is a real apparition, but it's demonic because it's teaching you heathen things like prayer beads and Mary worship and those, you know, papists, that's what they do. Well, look what it's combating and look what it's trying to get these revolutionaries to focus on who have a problem with the quote unquote divine feminine where they want to abort everything about it that has to do with feminine virtue and procreation. And it's going to exalt itself in something that is antithetical to that and is seen as, again, the new sacrament of abortion that we see them working so hard to protect these days and advance in ways that are really insane. So let's move on to the next point. This is interesting because the Cathars, as we mentioned, they had some rich aristocrats protected in castles despite their doctrines allegedly being anti-materialistic, right? Um, oh, we were against materialism and, you know, the patriarchal corporate tyranny and all that stuff. And all these, you know, rich kings and aristocracy in Christendom are hypocrites. Uh, but we're going to have our own castles and we're going to live the pleasant life and basically tell everybody that, you know, we're against uh, greed and lusting after earthly things. Is that very relevant to what we see today with the uh, Bernie Sanders mansions and all these liberal politicians who, uh, the joke being, they go into the political office uh, with less money and they come out with much more, whereas Trump went in with more money and came out with much less. 
financing his own campaign and all these sorts of things, right? But nonetheless, back to these aristocratic Cathars in their castles or having lords and nobles who were protecting them and basically giving them free crap because they were, I guess, enamored with their company. Well, it was for them, but it was also for the disenfranchised peasants to also have their Cathar doctrines. So isn't it interesting that this leftist ideology that is trying to protect its sacrament of abortions transcends all social status and hierarchies. You have all these Hollywood elite politicians. You have all these angry SJW foot soldiers who a lot of them are probably like homeless or whatever. They're all believing the same thing, very much like these Cathars who had the aristocrats and the peasants all believing the same things. I find that very interesting. Because that's a direct inversion of Catholic Christendom, except for the difference is Catholic Christendom says, yes, there is aristocracy. There are people that are ruling through monarchy and tradition and other people who are on the lower levels. But what is the synthesis point? They are all to participate in the sacraments in the church equally. The highest noblemen or clergy or the Pope himself are all going to confession and you know, revealing their sins to the priests or their confessors, just like the lowliest peasant is and all the other sacraments that go with it, right? So you see that same thing with the inverted sacraments of the left. The only difference is they're saying it's all equality and there is no difference in hierarchy, but there obviously is because of all these rich liberal politicians in their mansions that tell you to go right and burn down the conservatives' mansions and that's representing colonial oppression and greed and stuff like that. But miraculously, theirs seem to be completely unscathed and untouched. Now, sometimes particular businesses do have to deal with uh, collateral damage. You know, the tech companies might get looted. They might have the Verizon store looted during these riots or whatever. But do they have so much money that they just don't care? Just like how some TV shows or things on Netflix or even, uh, I guess, YouTube might not even make any money in their productions but is the production value in the propaganda that props up all these other money-making systems. Now, the other component here, setting aside these Cathar believers, if you will, there was a number of people, whether they were rich or poor, that were protecting them, even if they didn't believe in the Cathar ideology. This is what the book also revealed. So is this like the middle of the road left who still sides with them, or the Republicans these days who are against Trump, like uh, the, the Wallace moderator or whatever, the neocon overlaps, all these different uh, factions that are against him, you know, like the Irving Crystal uh, traditions of these neocons. And there's a number of articles outlying these different factions that are absolutely against Trump. So I understand that there's concerning overlap with different people here and there, but there are definitely Republican factions and sides that are just as opposed to Trump as some of these liberals who are looking at him like, you know, their adversary, their Satan, their abomination of desolation in their holy sacred temple of the White House. And there's other things revealed in Barber's book that when some of these Cathars converted back to Catholicism and realized the errors of their ways... Oftentimes, they were intimidated by the other Cathars because they would be seen as heretics, right? The, the inverted heretics. The Cathars who reneged on their Catharism are now their heretics. 
And what happened to them? Well, there's instances where there were mob intimidation tactics and all these tactics to prevent other Cathars from hearing the arguments against Catharism. So does this remind us of the left who, you know, walks away, if you will, and then their own turn on them? They're like the Judases of the left. Or are there particular groups that won't allow the Trump side or the conservative side or whatever side is just debunking the crazy leftism? I'm not even saying they have to be Trump supporters. Uh, Just basic reason and common sense. uh, They're all hiding that. And that's what the leftist media does. It won't allow any of the real facts to be said to, at the very least, show that Trump is either just as bad as they are or perhaps a lot better than their own leaders and the whole Biden laptop scam and stuff like that. And also think about this when people try to put a Trump sign up. Well, that's going to be attacked and, you know, probably vandalized. Or on the flip side, are there businesses that are more neutral, but they get attacked if they don't put a Black Lives Matter sign up at the front of their store? And they say, we smash your business if you don't support Black Lives Matter. I've actually seen that intimidation coming from uh, particular circles of, um, you know, my, my lady sells stuff on Etsy and has like a side business. And those circles are saying, boycott any Etsy shops that don't support BLM or make the BLM uh, you know, icon black out their uh, profile pic or whatever. I mean, this was actually going on. And this was the type of stuff that was being described in Barber's book is what the Cathars were doing, intimidating all the people around them and forcing them to side with the Cathars. So it doesn't sound like it's peaceful protests or you know, just convincing people through reason. It actually seems like it's the Catholic side that's doing all those things. Now, the other thing I would mention, these were the same mob tactics that were used by the American revolutionaries. And this is the issue that we're going to talk about in the next segment with Catholics and Americanism and having a little bit too much of a favorable viewpoint of the founding fathers and capitalism and stuff like that. That can certainly be a temptation coming from the conservative side of the Catholic supporting Trump. However, are some of those things more venial than mortal sins? Depending on the situation, that's all stuff we'll deliberate later. But back to the Cathars, there were a certain number of these battles against the Cathars by the Crusaders where the Crusaders were outnumbered three to one, but they were still able to suppress them. So think about this, where we have, you know, hundreds of rioters in the cities going at dozens of police trying to quell the uh, peaceful protests, right? You know, you see another parallel there where the people with the lesser numbers, but they have more logos or an ordering to them, are able to deal with the masked minions running around causing a bunch of destruction. But usually when they run into militias that are locked and loaded and packing, then all of a sudden they become peaceful protesters. <laughs> and so that's when everybody points to those moments. Oh, look, they're peaceful. And they're just standing there calling them fascists and they're walking along. Well, is that because they have guns and they know that they're going to get effed up if they try to mess with them? But if they don't have guns, like all the liberals are saying we need to get rid of all those guns, that's when they actually come out and start rioting and looting. And then everyone says, well, that's not what we we want, you know, but we understand their frustration. And sometimes when you're not heard, you just need to burn the mother down, right? So all these excuses, all this damage control, all this PR work coming from the liberal leftist media... And that was the same type of stuff that was going on. Granted, it was through the uh, context of the Times uh, media and gossip spreading throughout the kingdom. However, that might have worked, right? Just word of mouth, oral tradition, uh, competing factions, 
And the printing press obviously changed all that with the Reformation uh, blessing and cursings, right? Much like the internet today. And so the last few points, we'll wrap up here. We know that the Cathars were very self-destructive. Now, I recall reading in Barbara's book, I was trying to find the passages. Um, I, I seem to remember that there were some crusaders at the door and the Cathars realized that they were about to be beat down. So they started trashing or destroying their own fortresses uh, because they knew they weren't going to win and they just wanted to, you know, sabotage everything. I couldn't find those passages. So maybe I read that somewhere else. Maybe I was conflating it with something else, but we do know that they were very self-destructive and they were inducing suicide and they would rather die than be ruled over by the Catholic church or have any form of repentance. So do we see that today where they would rather burn the mother down, destroy our nation's economy, destroy all the property, all these different things, um, and really sometimes just kind of suicide themselves and shoot themselves in the foot and literally suicide their generation with the abortion sacrament that they're trying to keep uh, because they don't want meanie face demiurge Donald Trump in the White House uh, continuing as their abomination of desolation. So they would actually rather self-destruct, not just themselves, but everyone around them, rather than be ruled over by the quote-unquote demiurge. And isn't that a rather selfish thing? Even though they're always talking about sacrifice and we must all wear the masks to sacrifice. We need to think about the elderly and all this stuff, even though they all believe in euthanasia and they don't give two craps about the elderly. Or there's the boomer generation that's still acting selfishly And they're going to force the economy of the young people in the future to be destroyed because they're afraid of a virus. It can kind of work both ways. And I know I shouldn't give this disclaimer because anybody with half a brain should be able to realize that it's implied that I'm not saying that you shouldn't care about old people during the pandemic and the legitimate uh, dangers that there can be. But when you exaggerate those dangers and exaggerate the death rates and all this stuff in order to fulfill some sort of political protest that's completely hypocritical in a million different ways, and the criteria keeps changing every single day, well, when you cry wolf, people just stop caring, and the times you actually are saying something true, no one's going to believe you because you are historically a liar, and people shouldn't be uh, required to believe you. You should have to prove that you're not a liar and make amends and some sort of penance, but they just expect like they can lie. And the next day, well, let's just ignore that that happened. And we're going to, you know, rearrange all our criteria so we can criticize the next thing that the fascist dictator is doing to us in the white house. So with that being said, last point, recall when we talked about Norman A. Cantor's history on the Cathars and their doctrines overlapping with the Jewish Kabbalah, which was reserved for the 5% capitalist banking elites. Well, we know that the Jews were promoting that heresy, and that led to all these crazy abortive or self-destructive ideas that were influencing the Catholic culture. We have seen that echoing throughout many different situations that we mentioned, but also recall in the Kabbalah of Christendom episode, There were particular Jews trading in poisons, and they could have been easily used as abortificants to sell to Christians, 
And this was being sold as trying to downplay the whole well poisoning thing, which we're not going to promote. I'm not saying that there's evidence for it, but the fact that there was a knowledge of poisons, oftentimes this was tied to alchemy and, you know, Jewish Kabbalism. And a lot of these poisons were the old school ways of inducing abortions. And this will translate nicely into the next incarnation of this spirit in the Bavarian Illuminati that we talked about in our previous podcast episodes on Barwell's memoirs, but again, in particular, the Illuminati episode. So let's get into that. And we got seven points to go through, and this will be a bit quicker than the Cathars. One, we can recall that Mr. Adam Weishaupt was looking for someone to perform an abortion when he impregnated his half-sister. And the reason he wanted to abort this child was not so much because of the Catholic culture in Bavaria tied to virtue and there's a shaming culture around those things and stuff like that. No, 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 no. He actually wanted to avoid losing respect amongst his Illuminati brethren below him because he would be seen as a hypocrite. So the point is, he chose his own reputation and the ability to not repent uh, in front of his adepts and still seem virtuous. He chose that over his own child, and he made all these attempts to get the child aborted that we read about right in the very beginning of part three of Memoirs. And this is going to be important that this is in the very beginning of that part, which will relate to Thomas Jefferson's favorable views of Weishaupt that we've talked about, but that will relate to Americanism in the next part. So just keep that in mind here. But nonetheless, he was also caught lying because in the Illuminati raid where they discovered poisons and things used for inducing abortions, Weishaupt said that, well, we never had an occasion to use any of these poisons for abortions, nor would we even understand how, because we just don't know about, you know, abortion at all. So he was caught in a bold-faced lie, very much like the left tends to do more so than the right side today. I'm not saying that the right side can't ever lie, but remember, compare mortal and venial sins or mortal sins repented of versus mortal sins embraced in pride and completely ignored when convenient. There's a very big difference between those two things. Moving on to the second point. After it was revealed Adam Weishaupt's full knowledge and consent of the will to attempt to abort his child, who thankfully didn't end up getting aborted, I guess nobody actually helped him do it, so he did have the son. And again, we're not here to overly demonize Weishaupt. As far as I know, through, you know, kind of broad reading on his latter parts of life from the Catholics encyclopedia, no less. He kind of reconciled with the church and donated money to the church and maybe went back to the church and hopefully had a confession about all of this. Um, so we're talking about the objective data here. We're not trying to make judgments on the people, but rather the behavior that we see that is relevant. And how do you deal with that behavior? And how do you move forward with all of these horrible things happening? That's what we're trying to promote here, not to be uncharitable to everybody's subjective situation, even when they're doing really bad things. Um, that's not the point. We're trying to find the continuity in the thread that relates to a greater spiritual battle and narrative and results of history over time, and how that might help us see more clearly what we might want to support ourselves or reject. And then if we do support something, how much do we support it to what level? And how do we order all that out? Like we talked about at the very beginning 
of the podcast here. So with that in mind, isn't it interesting that after Weishaupt is fully consenting to this mortal sin, well, this is when a lot of these crazy Illuminati ends justify the means doctrine start coming out of him and he becomes more and more hypocritical over time. So is that a consciousness that aligns that when people embrace abortion, they become more contradictory, more hypocritical, more conniving, and more blind to all of it. And then they have a scapegoat to project all of their sins that they're doing onto another, which is exactly what Weishaupt and the Illuminati did in their doctrines because they blamed everything on the Jesuits. Everything that they were doing themselves, they were saying this is what the Jesuits do. And this is why people conflate them with the Jesuits erroneously, as we showed time and time again in those episodes, but all throughout a lot of the research that we've been doing. So do we see a scapegoating motif happening now where there's collusion with Russia or Ukraine or whatever it is, any sort of baddie archetype, and you know, delaying aids to the lockdowns and stuff like that, that has to do with the left projecting that onto Trump, but it's actually their own that are doing those things and 10 times worse than is often imaginable. We'll get to that later. Third point, and this is very relevant to the modern incarnation of all of this, Weishaupt and his adepts were specifically targeting the universities to infiltrate and start to disseminate their Illuminism, and they were doing anything they could to keep out exiled Jesuits of these universities. Now, again, the Jesuits had been expelled through Masonic and Protestant machinations, and so they're still around, they're just not officially in order. But Weishaupt is telling everybody in his order to avoid them like the plague because the Jesuits were smart enough to see through their BS and they were trying to defend the old world order in Christendom and they represent, again, the Counter-Reformation and that whole regime that basically was wiped out uh, from power or relevant power through the world wars. And that will also relate to Fatima. And what were they indoctrinating all these youth into? The aristocratic youth. Well, it was their primitive Marxist gnosis. We talked about the Bavarian Illuminati doctrines that, next point, established their version of the Enlightenment noble savage doctrine. And the secret of the Bavarian Illuminati was simply this, that Western Christian civilization was inherently evil and colonized all of these primitive pagan tribes that had this primitive illuminative gnosis. And so we all needed to go back to that universal communism and abolition of private property that all of these noble pagan tribes had. And this was the real mission of Christ. It was the social justice Christ that you actually see the, uh, well, the infiltrated version of the Jesuits today promoting, right? So actually, this is inverted. All of the Illuminati doctrines have become like the Francis regime, worship Pachimama, and social justice crap, and abolition of property, open borders, everything. It's really interesting how it's all been inverted. And this was Weishaupt's plan, which of course was found out and exposed. But when this conspiracy was exposed by Barwell and he sent it to all these people, Either nobody really cared or didn't want to believe it and just kind of poo-pooed it and ho-hummed it. Does this remind us of a Mr. Archbishop Vigano during this time as well? We'll talk about that later. But again, back to the point. European colonialism is horribly evil, according to Weishaupt, 
in his noble, savage, enlightenment ideas that were to be disseminated throughout the universities to indoctrinate the youth into, gee, does that remind us of anything today? And where did it all stem from? A full knowledge and consent to abortion. Also, (laughs) in typical fashion, this is a pattern we see coming over and over and over again with this. We read in the Illuminati doctrines that they were controlling women by bringing them into Illuminism, but they were secretly going to rule over them. So they were saying, women, we're going to give you women's rights and equality within our Illuminist system. But he was writing to his own adepts that the women are going to believe that, but they'll still secretly be ruled by men. They're just too stupid to realize that. That's literally what they were writing in a nutshell. And they were also using the women who were more loose, if you will, to satisfy the baser adepts, the lower level adepts, basically, oh, yeah, we're just going to let these women go sleep with a bunch of adepts, let them get their rocks off. That's for the profane. Meanwhile, the conservative women will believe that they're free thinking, independent women, but they're still under the dictates of men. So (laughs) does that perhaps remind us of anything with the women's rights and feminine liberation movement today and everything that goes with that? Because I have a sneaking suspicion that a lot of the people funding these women politicians and getting them into power are perhaps rich white male bankers um, that are international globalists behind the scenes that nobody's attacking for being white and privileged and rich. Like we talked about with the Cathar castles and like we talked about with the big wig politicians' mansions who seem to get more and more rich. Uh, as they get into politics. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't tyrannical women at the tops of some of these circles as well, but nonetheless, think about it for the broad scope of all of the women who go into the universities. Does this ideology just lead to them coming out completely oppressed by their own ideology and they end up being horribly bipolar and completely attached to their sacrament of abortions and freaking out in cars when their heralded saint, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, passes away. Again, something to think about. And the last thing we would mention is this. Does this mean that there's Bavarian Illuminati that have been hiding in the shadows and it's this secret group of men who have been doing this all throughout Christendom? Or is perhaps the most logical explanation, ironically, that there are metaphysical influences, perhaps demons or fallen angels, that are orchestrating all of this And from the Catholic teaching, when you violate these commandments and commit mortal sins, you open yourself up to demonic oppression, obsession, or even possession, and their influence is much greater over you, and you start to take on their personalities. And this is where I would say, listen to Father Chad Ripperger talk about demonic possession and its parallels with communism. He has a whole new channel on this, and you'll see a direct overlap. And perhaps that really explains, in a very rational way, despite using a supernatural worldview that the so-called Enlightenment will tell you is superstitious and dumb, well, does that actually make more sense? And the only thing that actually perhaps makes all this fit together throughout centuries, where the same basic things keep happening, it's just a different set of clothing, but it's the same bodies, as we say, just with a lot more scars. Moving on. Let's talk about Fatima and the eras of Russia really quickly. In 1917, we're going to elaborate on this quite a bit more in the next part. 
The other incarnation, we have the Bolsheviks rising and the Soviet Union having these really disturbing policies that enabled abortion and, and these different surveys and studies that we're going to go into a particular book on. It's going to reveal just how many women in the Soviet Union were having abortions. It's really quite shocking. Um, now, there was a lull in this, and the abortion was banned for a few years under Stalin from 1936 through 1939. And this is actually similar to some of the pagan emperors back in ancient Rome that did ban abortion for a time. I'm not saying Stalin was like a righteous pagan emperor. I'm saying for whatever reason, even Stalin recognized that there was a detriment to the state. But for whatever reason, that didn't stick, and it kept going on and on and on. And we're going to talk about this book. It's called The Soviet Union Party and Society. Uh, it's not a particular author, but its editor is Peter Potichkinji, <laughs> P-O-T-I-C-H-N-Y-J. I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but this is an international academic study from 1985. And we'll go into this extensively in other parts of our East and West Christianity episode 36 when we get to segments on Russia. But setting that aside, this book reveals just some of the basic points that in Russia, women's liberation was so that they could go and be a means of production rather than her production in the home. And in these studies, somewhere between 60 and 80% of women in Russia had at least one abortion. Now, these studies were done by different age groups, so different age groups, uh, people who were 45 to 55 versus, you know, uh, 25 to 35 or whatever, uh, the percentage varied, but the the lowest percentage of women having at least one abortion was 60%, and the highest was around 80%. And then there were many that had multiple abortions. So again, if you have 60 to 80% of all the women in Russia under these different studies and polls as having had at least one abortion, and later on they break those percentages down into how many had multiple, and some of them had them all the way up to like 16 or 17 abortions. It's really crazy. And here is one of the main reasons why. In these studies, they asked them, why did you have abortions? And, and, you know, what was the culture of this? Well, the abortions were simply used as a contraceptive. So no condoms or any of that stuff, right? It's just, oh, you're going to have a baby, you get pregnant, we'll just have an abortion. That's just how they dealt with it. I mean, that's crazy, especially considering that before this regime, there was many centuries of Christian Russia. So it's not like this was a gradual shift. This is like an overnight thing that just was this crazy horror that so many people in the alt media, even if they don't believe in Christianity, can agree that Bolshevik Russia was like one of the worst things to scourge the world. But of course, the leftist tradition will always try to downplay that and talk about how amazing it was and it was fighting the fascism of the czars and serfdom and all that stuff. I'm not saying there could never be any problems with those models, but what was the reality of those models versus what is the Dark Ages propaganda against both Eastern and Western Christendom, whether it be Byzantium or later on the Russian czars or in the Holy Roman Empire, which ironically ended in 1917 as well, for all intents and purposes, with Emperor Karl's abdication. And that's what we talked about in occult Catholicism in the World War I Dominoes video. So the point is, the East and Western Christianity was attacked in the same way, and that's the whole point of episode number 36, and that's what we can unify on, but there are some differences and distinctions in dealing with, again, the Eastern polemics against Roman Catholicism, but that's all for that episode. So, 
Nonetheless, another one of the main reasons for these abortions was that they didn't have enough money for daycare while the woman was working. So the women going into the workforce is supposed to get them all these things they want, but then they don't even have enough money to pay for their daycare, so now they're going to have the abortion. I mean, think about the backwardsness of that. Now we're just in Plato's Republic where women are equal to men, but they are treated like dogs, and that the children are just basically educated by the state, and they deem fit how that's all going to work out. And despite the errors of the Nazis and the criticisms of the Nazi regime, these were the main types of Jews, the liberal Jews and the Bolsheviks that the Nazis were worried about, as we talked about in the Zionism episodes. So isn't it interesting that the successors of that tradition will always project their bad guy out to be a Nazi? And does that show you a psychic spiritual connectivity back to that basic spirit, despite the irony of the dialectic of the Nazi eugenics and these Bolsheviks eugenics, if you will. So that is their synthesis. And then their other synthesis, that unholy synthesis to the opposite side is the Catholic Church attacking both sides as being in error and against God's ordering of creation. Now, I don't want to neglect the capitalist side of the coin here because that's what a lot of people will criticize And say, oh, you're missing the dialectic. Well, I kind of view them as one and the same. um, But there are some distinctions to be made, very similar to viewing Zionism and Bolshevism as the quote-unquote soul of the Jew, according to Churchill. There's issues on both. But are there also distinctions that need to be understood? And when I looked into the Jewish capitalist Jacob Schiff financing the Bolsheviks, Well, he hated the Russian czar, as we know this, because they're evil anti-Semites, just like all the propaganda against the Spanish Inquisition, right? That uh, transcends so many different dialectics. But once the Bolsheviks took over, he pretty much turned on them and denounced them, as far as I was reading. And then he started promoting secular Zionism, which is, of course, the so-called solution to the Jewish problem coming from the Jewish camp and also the Anglo camp and Churchill and all these different groups, right? that we've already talked about. But at the same time, and I would ask, is this more subconscious and people just being blind and demonic manipulation coming out and moving these pieces and we're confusing them with the machinations of men in a much more conscious way than it actually is. I'm not saying that some of these higher groups of bankers and international globalists aren't aware of these things, but I also wonder to what degree and how much more is subconscious than a lot of people in the alt media uh, think that it actually is, right? And this is where we can get into a mistake and start overly demonizing people and judging their soul in instances where we're not supposed to do that, at least from the Catholic perspective. But setting that aside, apparently Mr. Schiff was funding what's called the Henry Street Settlement, which supported this woman, Lillian Wald, and she's tied into working with Margaret Sanger And so here's the interesting dialectic to this. In America, which is supposedly against all of this radical Bolshevism and could never become socialist or communist or whatever in the whole, uh, you know, Cold War era dialectic, uh, which does have, in my opinion, some meritable things, but also some very deceptive things that are hidden. And this is one of them. But is it subconscious? Um, Well, a lot of these Jewish immigrants, I think, were coming from Russia, and we saw a lot of the crazier Zionists being the Russian Zionists, but they found refuge in America or 
uh, worked with Britain for a time and then kind of turned on Britain. And this is all, again, part of the Zionist crap with Yabotinsky and whatever. And we'll talk more about this later. But it's interesting how these Jews who immigrated only knew forms of contraception as abortion. So is this an instance where they're taking something that's already evil in its most overt sense, but they're trying to make it a lesser evil and say, well, you don't have to get abortions anymore as contraception. You can have, you know, condoms or whatever forms of contraception through pharmaceuticals they were promoting back then. So when people say Margaret Sanger was against abortion, but she was promoting contraception as the preventative to abortion, is that eventually still going to lead to Roe v. Wade, right? The point is you're scaling back the errors to a less extreme version, but it's going to logically conclude to what we see now, which is kind of like the Bolshevik version of open borders abortion, right? It's really crazy. So this is the issue. The dude is financing the same thing that he didn't like how the Gollum or the Frankenstein monster turned out in Russia, but he's also financing that in America. So this is the capitalist side of the dialectic. And we're going to talk more about this in the next part. So I'm going to move on. Um, But I'm not neglecting the capitalist side of this coin. The last thing I would mention is think about today with China. Now, China is seen as kind of like the model for this new world order, you know, one world communist utopia. And setting aside, again, Cold War dialectics of, you know, Capitalism versus communism, America good and Russia bad or China bad or whatever. And also setting aside Rudy Giuliani laptop circuses about Hunter Biden and crack pipes and focusing more on him smoking crack or meth or whatever it is, rather than all the collusion. Um, And, you know, maybe there's reasons for that because he's got a personal history of being caught with certain things and maybe he... uh has some sort of subjective things going on with that, but I'm not an expert on the personal life of Rudy Giuliani, just going by what I heard. But setting aside any shenanigans with all of that and dialectics with all of that, and maybe some over-exaggerations for particular reasons, or getting us to focus on something that's not as important. Setting all that aside, we know that there's that one-child policy in China and basically forced abortion in that regard. And this is similar in archetype to communist revolutions in Russia. We know there's the whole social credit system uh, that, you know, has its roots in there. We have the Biden corruptions with China and dependence on China for all of our goods and stuff like that. And despite everyone saying global warming is the biggest threat ever, well, I find it ironic that we don't seem to have any problems going to Whole Foods and buying all their green products that actually say they're made in China not to mention all of the coal plants they have that are supposedly super pollutant. So there's a complete hypocrisy there. Then we have the whole Chinese virus in its dubious origins as perhaps an attack or release into the world and trying to bring about this globalist system or a great reset, as some people talk about. We also have the Vatican selling out the Catholic Church in China. These weird McCarrick connections also consider that Italy and China were the original sources of massive outbreaks at the start of this virus. We had the strange Pachimama idolatry that happened just months before uh, this whole COVID-1984 shutdown. And think about a universal church, but in a universal apostasy and the whole errors of Russia spreading and then the most overt action of idolatry in the Vatican. I'm not neglecting a CC or anything like that. And again, we're going to talk about all that stuff and the other uh, parts of this 
episode. But that's all connected in here and the idea of the state as God and then the sacraments of the church get shut down, but the sacraments of abortion get to stay open. And then we have Trump against China. Now, uh, setting aside any red flags or some things that, you know, might uh, seem contradictory, at least there's a rhetoric and an idea of a nationalism and empowering American businesses that's tied to it. Um despite, like I said, any dependencies still on China or any failures. And think about the alternative. If you criticize China, well, anybody in the Biden side of the camp is going to call you racist. Um, and even though I say the, the virus is the worst thing ever, we got to get rid of it, but we got to keep having open borders with China. We know what we get with Biden with all this. With Trump, there's a lot more unknown and a lot more positives that we could perhaps look at as an extended hand, but we got to work with that grace. Going back to what we deliberated at the beginning of this podcast. Now also consider that if you go back to a lot of enlightenment propaganda and then just basic Gnostic ideas, they're always trying to reinvent the West's understanding of Eastern religion and call the East so enlightened and the West is materialistic, it's selfish, and all that ego comes from a egoic demiurge, a jealous God of the Old Testament. And Trump is like an archetype of that, right? And it's just ignorant. It thinks it's the cock of the walk, but it's not. And we need to be all enlightened like the non-egoic civilizations over in the East. Or is that a gigantic deception? And a lot of the people promoting the New Age Gnostic stuff end up being the most egoic and the most selfish people despite their LARP and their image, their Facebook projection about how amazing and philanthropic they are and how much they care about humanity, do we see that same thing going on with all of these different leftist factions? Also consider the Nagasaki martyrs that we talked about and all the Catholicism of Japan and all of those struggles that are completely lost amongst most history. The dropping of the bomb on Nagasaki, whatever people think about what the bomb actually was or how it actually uh, you know, destroyed the city, People can debate that if they want to go down the rabbit hole, but nonetheless, something happened, and that was the Rome of Japan for Catholicism, and it's very strange how that was one of the targets. Also think about Cardinal Zen's plight in dealing with the church in China and the selling out of him through the Francis regime, all the weird McCarrick stuff, and the stuff that Vigano was exposing. And then the last point I would say we can be reminded of Rockefeller's pro-abortion in the 20th century, their China connections. Jay Dyer goes into a lot of this stuff, praising Mao's China, the UN agendas with all of this stuff, the Rockefellers and everything that we've gone through in occult science, the overlap of theosophy, and then the support of abortion leading up to Roe v. Wade in 1973, which is interestingly enough, the same year the Twin Towers were opened. And then we had our little Saturn return where they closed on the exact time of Saturn being in the middle of the Gemini pillars in the Gemini zodiac sign. And we've talked about all that in the New World Order Astrology series. So I'm not going to rehash that. But if you look at all this stuff and you look at a continuity here, you see it throughout centuries. And to wrap up this segment before we go on to the paid content, I will say if you look at the demographics of Christianity throughout the world, Look up the Eastern Orthodox Empire, look up the Roman Catholic Empire, and even look up the Protestant, I guess, British Empire or whatever. You'll see that Christendom has indeed covered the entire globe, even if the Protestant version we can say is a little bit more suspect with certain things and maybe spreading the capitalist gospel as being synonymous with Christianity. But nonetheless, it's still there. 
And it evangelized pretty much the entire world except for China. It's very interesting if you just piece together the color coding of those maps, which I'll provide in the links of the resources. And isn't it interesting that China is like the model uh, for how we're supposed to order our world with a perhaps great reset being proposed and all these weird things coming out of China, the virus, and then Trump being against China, at least in rhetoric and archetype, uh, depending on the policies and stuff like that. We could think of that as more of a crapshoot, more of a gamble, but I think we know what we get with Biden. And I think that that would be what everybody should remember with the election tomorrow is that would you rather take a little bit of a chance and maybe see if there is an extended hand of grace that there's some optimistic things not to be neglecting the red flags versus a complete open borders, new world chaos with the Biden administration that is so corrupt, tied to all these other organizations that we're always complaining about in the alt media. We'll let you take all that and do what you wilt with it. And for the members, we'll see you in the next section. We're going to talk a little bit more about the capitalism side of this coin of spreading secular uh, atheism and abortions and, and whatnot, and also the concerns of Americanist conservative Catholicism tied to capitalism or right-wing masonry, or all the things that people allege perhaps against Vigano aligning with Trump and all these different Catholic media stations promoting Trump and all the criticisms that are going against them coming from the Catholic camp or maybe even some of the alt-media Christian camp or whoever it might be. We're going to address all that and try to deliberate things out and see what we come up with and get into a lot of the metaphysical or spiritual warfare analysis and potentials and stuff related to Fatima and all the weird stuff, right? If you like the weird metaphysical supernatural stuff, we're going to go full ham with that in the next part. And you can also take that and do what you will with it. So for the subscribers, we'll see you there. To gain access to the second hour, Head to www.rockstaresoterica.com and become a member to gain all access to all content at all times. Or to purchase individual episodes such as this one, head to schism206.podbean.com.